Wow. That was glorious. And now we get to hear why. Okay? I'm going to read from the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. And I think I'm going to have to do it like this. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. The word of the Lord. Christ is risen. Let me add my welcome. If you're a guest with us, my name is Mike Stroh. I'm one of the pastors here. And a welcome to everyone as we gather to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. Thank you, Carrie Jane, for reading our passage and music team for guiding us with a spirit of joy uh, into praise. As we turn now to God's word, we'll be in Matthew 28 in the text that you just heard. Of all the things that would dramatically change your life, for a lot of people, winning the lottery would be up there on the list. Despite the nearly impossible odds, a lot of people daydream, you know, how their life would be different if they just won the jackpot, pay off your mortgage, maybe quit your job, get that dream house, secure your kid's future, spend time just on what you want to do. For most of us, suddenly getting a huge chunk of money would dramatically change our lives. So I want you to imagine hearing the news that you won the jackpot, but never claim your prize. It turns out that this is a thing that actually happens. 
It's hard to believe, but some of the biggest lottery jackpots in history have gone unclaimed. The biggest ever was back in 2012 in the UK, a jackpot of over 64 million British pounds. They know what shop the ticket was purchased from. Uh, They made all sorts of appeals for the winner to come forward and claim their prize. They even ran a billboard campaign. But the 180-day limit expired, and the prize remained unclaimed. Now, I'm assuming this winner somehow never heard the news. Either that or they need a little bit more margin in their lives. 180 days isn't enough for them to get down there and claim their prize, right? Yeah, I gotta get down there one of these days to claim this lottery thing, but I'm just, I'm just too busy, you know? One of these days though, for sure. I mean, who knows? Maybe this person did know about it and they threw a party for all their friends. They made all sorts of elaborate plans about how their life was gonna change, but they just never got around to claiming the money. I want you to imagine yourself in that position. It feels pretty ridiculous to most of us. And if playing the lottery is not your thing, I'm not promoting playing the lottery. If you prefer, imagine getting the news that you've inherited millions from some long-lost uncle. Life-changing news, but you never get around to transferring the money into your account. The money is yours, rightfully, and you know it, but you decide for whatever reason to just keep going on living life the way you did before. So as believers, we've heard some news that the resurrection of Jesus happened and it changed everything. News that's, by the way, infinitely better than winning the lottery or inheriting millions. We believe it. We celebrate it every Sunday and especially on Easter morning. I don't know about you, but human nature makes it all too easy to go on, though, living like we did before. Or maybe we think back then when it happened, yes, the resurrection changed everything and it was awesome. And someday in the future, the resurrection is going to change all of our lives in eternity. But what about right now? What about today? Well, This morning is the climax of our Holy Week celebration. We've walked with Jesus and his disciples from the joy of Palm Sunday to the Last Supper to the sorrow of Jesus' betrayal crucifixion, death, and burial. Maundy Thursday and Good Friday, if you were with us, both services ended on a somber, dark tone. But today, we celebrate something radically has changed since then. Something has changed since that first Easter morning that seals the hope and future of all who trust Christ. But this Easter morning, as we turn to God's word, we want to remember that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just a past and future reality, but it's a present reality too. Let's pray together as we turn to scripture. Our Father, we ask that you open our eyes and most importantly that you open our hearts to the transforming reality of the resurrection of your son Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So if you have a Bible, let's look again at Matthew's account, the text we just heard read, Matthew uh, chapter 28, starting in verse number one. Let's look there. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. 
and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now, of all four gospel accounts, if you're familiar with all the different accounts uh, in, in the New Testament, Matthew's is the most dramatic. Matthew includes all of the dramatic details of the scene, the earthquake, the terrified guards, the frightening appearance of the angel. But of course, all four Gospels make it clear this is the biggest event in history. This isn't uh, just an optional piece of our faith, something that we can just leave off to the side. See, to Matthew, the cross only makes sense because Jesus rose. There is no Christianity without the resurrection. The Apostle Paul makes this abundantly clear in 1 Corinthians 15. We responsively read it together already. Paul said, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have died in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, without the resurrection, the cross was a beautiful gesture, but it was just that. It didn't actually accomplish anything. If there's no resurrection, then humanity's deepest need remains unmet. So we might as well go on living our life how we please. And of course, there's plenty of people who have chosen to do just that, because of course, resurrection is impossible, right? So there can't be any truth to Christianity, so the logic goes. Because now, thankfully, finally, with modern science, we finally know that dead people don't rise again normally. This might surprise some people to find out that ancient people also knew that dead people don't rise from the dead. Even the Jews who believed in a resurrection at the last day didn't believe that Jesus would rise. They didn't believe that people would rise before then. Think of Jesus' own followers. He's been telling them over and over that he will die and that he will rise again. And yet they still don't expect it. The Marys here didn't go to the tomb expecting it to be empty. So the resurrection is just as shocking and unexpected to them back then, even Jesus' followers, as it would be to us after church today. If we looked across the street at Restland Cemetery and saw somebody climbing out of a grave, Matthew knew dead people don't rise. Okay, let's all be clear about that. But he wrote his account anyway because that's the point. God stepped in and did something wholly different. See, if there is a creator of the universe who wrote the laws of nature, he has the ability to break them when he chooses. God wanted it to be clear. This is something new. This is something that changes everything. God's plan to reconcile the world to himself is now fully underway. The sacrifice of Jesus on the cross fully paid the price for our sins. If God broke into human history, as the Gospels in the New Testament claim, and Jesus rose from the dead, then all of God's promises are true. 
But let's not lose sight also of the very, very personal encounter we see here. The people involved in their hearts. The angel delivers the news. Look again at verse 8. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Notice that phrase, fear and great joy. In the Bible, any confrontation somebody has with the supernatural, usually an angel, it always brings fear. So the angels always have to say, don't be afraid. Notice they don't tell the guards not to be afraid. Kind of like, you guys, if you want to, you can go ahead being on the floor over there being afraid. But the Marys are in shock and awe. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Because they're human, being confronted with this spectacular vision. But they hear the news and immediately great joy enters the equation too, alongside their fear. They arrived at the tomb grieving and confused and discouraged. And what a transformation. In just a moment, everything has changed. Now they're running to spread the word with fear and great joy. Wait a minute. You can kind of see the dots connecting, right? Wait a minute. If Jesus is alive, then... then, And it all starts to make sense. Jesus is alive, so they're set off in a new direction, in a new mission. Everything they thought they understood about the world and God's plan has been turned upside down. Look at verses 9 and 10. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So the Marys are running already, right? Their hearts are racing. Their minds are scrambling to keep up with what they've just been told and all the implications and how this changes everything. And I picture Jesus kind of jumping out from behind a tree. Greetings! Maybe not. They're already kind of, you know, they're already scared. They're already shaken up. So maybe he doesn't scare them like that. But it's almost funny to look at how casually Matthew records this. Jesus met them. Jesus met them. You mean the Jesus that was just crucified and buried for three days? Yeah, Jesus met them. You can see Matthew with a smile on his face writing these words in the scroll for the first time. And the word Jesus uses here is just your everyday greeting, like our hello, or something like, hey, how's it going? Yep, lovely weather today, huh, Marys? It's as if they just picked up right where they left off. But I love the tone here and just the casual, everyday nature that Matthew presents, that Jesus' word here, hello. Like this resurrection life is the new normal. The world is forever changed. There's no going back. Do we see that reality? Do we remember that we wake up every day, no matter what we're facing, no matter what is heavy on our hearts, no matter what is stressing us out, no matter what seems impossible to overcome, every day we wake up in a world that Jesus rose from the dead. In a world where God's kingdom has already broken in. This is our new normal. That frames everything else. And their response to this casual greeting is to fall down and worship. Jesus repeats the words of the angel. Go tell who? My brothers. Jesus says, you know, the guys who denied Jesus and abandoned him in his time of need, my brothers, he says, the ones whose hopes have been dashed when their Messiah is betrayed and killed and buried. The ones whose sins are completely forgiven 
because Jesus died and rose. My brothers. And the women do spread the news. And Jesus will appear to the rest of the disciples too. And what happens to them? They're completely transformed. They go from shame and fear to great faith. Most of them will bravely face death for following Christ. What changed? Well, the resurrection happened. That's what changed. This is what this news does for those who will receive it. News so amazing and life-changing that it transforms everybody, right? Well, let's look a bit further at verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Talk about a tone change, right? What a contrast from this scene of transformation and joy to now darkness and fear and deceit. The guards come to their religious leaders and to share their story. Now, we don't know what they knew. They may not have seen the actual resurrection, but of course they saw the empty tomb. They felt the earthquake. They were terrified by the angel. In other words, they saw plenty. They saw enough. But the religious authorities move fast to stay in control, and so they bribe the guards to keep quiet. And so this official story is developed. You guys were asleep when the disciples came and stole the body, so let's spread that around. Now, sleeping on duty was a serious offense, maybe even punishable by death. So they're promised and given this sufficient sum. And they took the money. It's incredible to me. They took the money. After all they had seen, they took the money. These religious leaders, after all they had heard, after all the miracles they had witnessed from Jesus and heard about, and now these, or and when Jesus was alive, his claims of being Messiah, his claims of being God in human flesh, and now to hear the tomb is empty from these guards, The tomb is empty, somehow under the noses of professional Roman soldiers, and these religious leaders don't even have the curiosity to look into it just a little bit more. But of course, they don't want truth. They want control. The guards didn't want truth either. They settled for a pocket full of cash. They traded that for eternity. Look how hard these people have to work to resist the truth. Their well-laid plans. How hard they have to work to resist being transformed. About 500 years ago, a guy named Copernicus came along. You've heard of him. He suggested the sun did not, in fact, revolve around the earth like people had thought, but the other way around. Talk about controversy, right? Let me just look at him. He doesn't look happy. He didn't have an easy time. He did have some supporters even in his day. But, of course, a lot of people chose to go on believing what they had before, despite the evidence. The science was there, but it was easier to deny it because that would shake things up too much. 
So the question for us is, do we want the truth? Or do we want to maintain a worldview that is easier for us, that we prefer, that we're used to? And of course, human nature is the same today. We're not much wiser than people were in Copernicus's day, except now we also have this concept of personal truth. You have your truth, but for me, the sun actually still revolves around the earth. Thank you very much. But either Jesus rose or he didn't. Either option has huge implications for the world and for you personally. So we all have a choice to make. Will we live in light of the resurrection like we see the women doing at the tomb and later the disciples? Or will we choose not to like the guards and the religious leaders? Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning or you're listening to it or you're watching online, ask yourself, how would my life change if the resurrection were true? Stop settling for life as you know it. Dig into the question. Examine the evidence. Now, there are a lot of compelling reasons to believe the gospel narrative is true. Going through them would be a whole series of sermons that would just scratch the surface. But right here in our text, we see one. The women are first to the tomb. Now, in the first century, women were not even considered reliable witnesses in court to establish something. So if you're going to fabricate a story that you're hoping would catch on, you wouldn't have the first witnesses be women. Unless that's, of course, what happened. The claim of the resurrection is too important to just dismiss without seriously considering it, without seriously seeking truth. But of course, this question is not just for unbelievers. We as believers also need to live in light of the resurrection. We who have put our faith in Christ, so hey, we believe it, right? We believe he rose, but living every day in light of it is another thing. And that's Matthew's emphasis. He's less trying to prove that it happened, and he's showing us more how it affected the disciples and how they lived as a result. Jesus will give them a commission, this new mission to spread the good news in the power of his resurrection. Now, all that Jesus taught them comes alive and makes sense. The work of his kingdom and the promise of this sure hope at his return, this is the new normal. But again, how easy is it for us to drift back? To believe it in our heads, but to live otherwise. We're bombarded by the world's thinking and values. We're constantly being distracted from the spiritual life. We may hold on to our belief in the resurrection, and then that 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 will mean something for us someday. But we lose sight of what the empty tomb means for us right now. This is how author Rebecca McLaughlin explains it. She writes, Believing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life is not a one-time posture of the mind. Rather, it is a daily battle of the heart. As with a kid riding a roller coaster, all our senses scream otherwise. I'm routinely tempted to believe that something or someone is in fact my life. I look to the things I desire to fill me up. And those things, those people can feel so real compared with this impossible God who calls me to crucify my desires and throw myself into his arms. What are you tempted to believe is your life? 
instead of Christ? Where do you see your heart being tempted to go back to the way life was before? What are you settling for to fill you up? In John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, I'm not just telling you about life. I'm not just telling you where to find it. Jesus is saying, I am life. It's me. We already quoted Paul, who wrote that if Christ didn't rise, then we should be pitied. But he goes on to say, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. And later in the chapter, he speaks of Christ's return when all will be raised. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, then death is swallowed up in victory. Therefore, Paul writes, don't miss that, in light of everything he just said about the resurrection, therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And so how has faith in a resurrected Savior been impacting your life lately? Because if Jesus rose, then we can find a true joy in the midst of our suffering. Something that baffles the world. Something the world cannot even understand. If Jesus rose, we can find freedom from bondage to sin and shame because God accepted the sacrifice of Jesus for us. If Jesus rose, we rightly grieve the passing of loved ones. But we do that differently than the world, too. We do that with hope. If Jesus rose, we no longer have to fear death because death was defeated. If Jesus rose, we no longer have to fear anything because the risen Christ said he will never leave us or forsake us. If Jesus rose, then getting caught up in the world's quest for more stuff and more status and the respect of the world means wasting your life. But as Paul says here, a life lived for Christ is never in vain. If Jesus rose, then we know he's coming back to make all things new. But the resurrection tells us he's not waiting until that future day to start. God said definitively, clearly, on resurrection, that resurrection morning, it starts now. Christ transforms us. He's at work in us now with the resurrection power of Christ, so the world sees his life in us. Now, we would never imagine celebrating winning the lottery or inheriting millions and then leaving it unclaimed. But we have heard the news here in Matthew's gospel that's infinitely greater. The angel said, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. And so the tragedy for us this morning would be to gather on Easter morning to to celebrate this life-changing news, to get caught up in the joy and the singing and the fellowship, and then to live tomorrow like today never happened. Like the tomb isn't empty. And Paul writes in Romans 8, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. 
It's not just a future promise, that's a present reality. The same power that brought Jesus back from the dead is alive in us who know Christ. On this Easter morning, may we get a hold of that truth together. May we get a hold of that reality and live more fully in light of the resurrection. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, who through your Son, Jesus Christ, has overcome death and opened to us the gate of everlasting life, grant that we who celebrate with joy the day of the Lord's resurrection may be raised from the death of sin by your life-giving Spirit. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the same Spirit forever, one God, world without end. Amen. Let us stand together.